Hello everybody, this is Mark with the Thoughtful Gamer here back again with one of my desk side talks. Last one went over pretty well I think, so I think I'll continue doing these on the, on the off weeks when I don't have a normal podcast and I can't figure out anything better to do for the off week podcast. So I just wanted to go over today some of the games I've been playing recently, uh, what I've posted recently. And then, again, looking ahead to the future, but also a little bit about the idea of the cult of the new, uh, which is a term that's often thrown around in board game circles, usually by people complaining that other people don't want to play their game from 20 years ago that they enjoy a lot, rather than people who are focused all on the new thing. So I, I actually had a post about that a couple of months ago on the website analyzing the Board Game Geek Top 100 rankings, and found that, according to those rankings, there's not that much of a cult of a new, if any cult of the new, bias in rankings. It was I looked at uh, the numbers from 2017, 2014, and 2011, and found that there really wasn't much of a difference in how old the games were on the list. In fact, in all three situations, about 60% of the top 100 list came in the previous six years. That's where the bulk of the games were from, no matter what snippet of time you looked at. But I'll be reevaluating because I went back, noticed the list had changed quite a bit. There are a lot of newer games, it seemed to me at least, high up on the list. So I went back and reran the numbers again, and there in fact has been a change. But we'll talk about that a bit later. First, I recently posted uh, yesterday the review of Zulkin, which I thought was a pretty good review. And it's such a fascinating game. You know, the big selling point is the gears but the way they utilize those gears in the worker placement game to make some really interesting mechanisms and really intriguing gameplay it really works it's not just a a visual gimmick even though as a visual gimmick it's pretty cool Uh, one thing i didn't mention quite in the review is that i'm afraid a little bit long term that i may not find it quite as appealing after, you know, maybe a dozen or 20 plays, uh, only because there are only a, a couple of roads to victory points. I wanted to put this in the review, but couldn't quite figure out how to phrase it at the time. In other words, in, in Zulkin, you can gain victory points by building buildings, uh, which is kind of one primary method. The second primary method is with these crystal skulls that you place on one of the tracks. And the other methods of gaining victory points are either going to be dependent on the on the randomly randomly selected monuments that are put out, or you can gain some points. And I get I guess in some sense I gained quite a, a good number of points last time I played on the temple track. But I think the building route or building buildings to go into monuments and the crystal skull route are basically the two main point-getting strategies, and my only concern about the long-term prospects of the game is that it might get a bit stale and dull, because you really kind of have to commit to one or the other, either on a monument building strategy or on a skull strategy. It doesn't seem like kind of going half and half works well, mostly because the way you gain skulls and the way you gain resources to construct buildings are both located on the same gear. So if you're sending workers on that gear, there's a trade-off between the two. You can't be gathering the building materials for both strategies 
simultaneously. They're always in opposition to one another. So my fear is that it'll become a bit stale because there isn't a whole lot of space to maneuver strategically. But because the monuments are randomly selected, that might not be the case. Anyway, I think at the very least, I'm going to be pulling this out a lot more uh, because I've just had a fantastic time the last few times I played it. Uh, we also pulled out, Ryan and I pulled out Commanding Colors Ancients, which he got for Christmas last year, and we'd only played a couple of times before, and we wanted something a bit quicker, so we pulled it out, and it is really fun. I don't know if I like it better than Memoir 44, which is based on the same system, but it has some really interesting dynamics. The main one is that it's almost entirely about keeping your lines together on on the board. So your 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 armies need to stay together and they really fall apart if they get split up from the group. So I guess strategy ends up becoming trying to disrupt the opponent's line. The main reason I don't think I like it better than memoir is that it has that situation, well I guess memoir has this too, where both sides want to kind of toe up as close as possible to the other side, but not get within range of their their ranged units, and then just kind of stay there. So it takes a while before any action starts happening because the first person to kind of go within range, you know, may be able to get some kind of attack off, but on the following turn, their opponent is going to have a, a much bigger advantage and a bigger ability to... to uh, kind of wipe them out just because of the positioning of it. And on a spatial combat game, that's not completely compelling to me. I think Memoir does it a lot better, at least so far. I've only played the first couple of scenarios in Command and Colors Ancients. But Memoir seems to do it a bit better by having location-based objectives, but also by having a lot tighter terrain setups so that you can take up defensive positions and kind of maneuver into position a bit more rather than just trying to maintain the stability of a, of a line. But the game Orion and I played was, was really fun and, and, and dramatic, specifically toward the end, because I had gained a lead going in. I, I think the game was to six points, and I had five, he had four, and he basically risked it all on a single cavalry unit swooping along my back lines taking out two lone infantry units that I had retreated towards the back after they got wounded, uh, which was which was dramatic. And it's always funny in, in this and Memoir, the game itself is so simple, particularly with Memoir. Command and Colors Ancients, it's definitely significantly more complicated with how the units work. But even then, the system itself is extremely simple. And yet, they both somehow managed to come out deeper than you'd think, but also more dramatic and more surprising and more strategic than you'd think. So I definitely want to look into that more. It's one of the games that takes a long time to set up, but not a whole, not a particularly long play time. So I think one afternoon I just want to set it up and, and play a bunch of different scenarios with it and uh, see what I think, because I, I have played Memoir a lot more than, than Ancients. What else have I been playing? I've been playing Mage Knight, uh, which I will play again tomorrow, I believe. I'm not going to talk about that, just say that I've been playing it. If you've listened to my top 10 podcasts, you know I put it as my second favorite game of all time. I love it. But we will have a very in-depth discussion and 
probably argument about Mage Knight on next week's podcast, episode 10, because as promised on earlier podcasts, uh, Matt has uh, agreed to play it a couple of more times and then go on and talk about it with me. And I don't know who else is going to be in the podcast, but we're going to discuss and debate it because he does not get the appeal. He doesn't, he has a lot of objections to it. He had fun in the last game, but he doesn't understand why Orion and I and, and Ben like it so much. So I think that will be a very interesting podcast and we'll take a deep dive into Mage Knight, what makes it work or what might not make it work for you. And then finally, I've got three games and this is rarity for me. I don't buy a ton of games just because I don't have the money to buy a ton of games. And also I'm running out of space in the game room right now, but when I buy a game, I usually am able to get it played quickly. And right now I have three games that I have, but I have not played at all yet just because I got them all around the same time. And we haven't, we've been trying to get through some other games, play some other games before playing them. But the three games are uh, two from GMT, which I got up on the P500. We got 1960, the race, race for the president. I don't remember what the subtitle is about the, Nixon-Kennedy election uh, back in 1960, which is really exciting because it's the same kind of, it's one of the designers from Twilight Struggle in the same kind of system, but I've heard that it is both shorter and more simple, so that might be a fun one. And then, much anticipated, the first two-player coin game, Colonial Twilight, which is about the French-Algerian War, which I know nothing about, but the map looks really cool. And I've kind of glanced at the rulebook. It's a shorter rulebook than the other coin games I've played. I don't know if that's just because it's two-player or if it's actually a simpler, more streamlined game. I, I'm kind of hoping it's the latter because the coin games are fairly complicated, especially with the different uh, faction abilities and how you know, all the asynchronous or uh, asymmetry of the game. So... I'm very excited to play that as well. And then the final game, which I picked up at the local game store a couple of weeks ago when I was there for a Netrunner night, is Space Cadets Dice Duel, which I've always heard great things about. It was on the clearance rack at 75% off, so for about, I think, $11 or $12, I was like, well, that can't be beat. Let's grab that and try it out. Almost got it to the table a couple of days ago, but we couldn't get a fourth player But it only takes, I think, half an hour, maybe 45 minutes, and I definitely want to try that out. I've never played the original Space Cadets, but I heard great things. And then I heard, uh, if I remember correctly, a lot of people saying that Dice Duel is actually the better game between the two. And I like real-time games. I like space games. As you all know, I I love Space Alert. And I think team versus team games are really cool, so... I am very excited to try out Dice Duel, uh, also because it was designed by, I believe, Jeff Engelstein from the Ludology podcast, which is an excellent podcast about game design and board games, and so I very much trust him as a game designer, and I'm hoping that's going to be a really fun, quick game for us. And then I've also been playing a lot of Netrunner. We have, I, I wrote about one regionals I went to a couple of weeks ago, and then this a week from this upcoming Saturday, the second 
regionals within driving distance is happening down in Connecticut, and I'm testing out decks and trying to figure out what I want to bring to that tournament. I think I've narrowed it down to... Well, I think I know which runner deck I'm going to bring, and it's going to be an Anarch deck, which I never run. Uh, Anarch is, oh, has, for quite a long time, been kind of the most popular, most successful runner faction in the meta uh, competitively, but they've never really been my style. Anarch is very... has kind of a reckless, very aggressive style. They do damage to themselves. They trash their own cards. But I found a version of an Anarch deck that I like a lot, and it's been doing fairly successful. I think I've got like a 60% win percentage in the competitive servers on Genteki, which is pretty good for me. So I'm taking that as a sign that it uh, it's kind of the deck I'm going to go with. It has pretty good matchups all across uh, the popular corp decks that I expect to be seen. Um, it's quick. It has lots of money. It's able to deal with assets. It's able to kind of keep up with the faster corporations, but also stay for the long run. So I think it's a pretty well-rounded deck, and probably after the tournament I'll write about uh, that one uh, that I've been tinkering with. And then on the corp side, I'm between two decks. Uh, right now I think I think that fast... Runners are so rich right now that I think that faster corp decks are almost a necessity. There are some Glaciers builds that will do well. Ag Infusion stuff does well, but that's a, that's a rushing deck that has glacier ice basically and can play the long game but it's still trying to score out nisei's quickly so i've thought about doing ag infusion i i might end up going with that just because i think it's very very strong but i suspect there'll be a lot of people expecting that and i don't pilot those decks very well i've tried a few times and i just can't quite get the feel for it i'm also considering kind of a classic uh, deck that I've played a lot that I have a good feel for, but it has some very, very bad matchups. But I still might go for it. And then finally, I've been practicing with a very, very, very fast rushy deck that I've also done about 60% win rate on the competitive servers at Genteki, and I think that's what I'm going to go with. But I have a lot more confusion on the corp side, as I usually do, because those are a lot more dependent on matchups, I find. Anyway... Enough about Netrunner, apologies to the people who don't know what I'm talking about, but basically I think I've decided on two very, very aggressive decks, which is uncharacteristic for me, but I'm having a ton of fun with them. And it, worse comes to worse, I'll lose very quickly. Other than that, that's about what I've been playing, what I'm hoping to get played. Otherwise, I'm trying to get back into the swing of writing. I've had a rough couple of weeks with uh, sleep troubles and mental health issues, and I kind of fell behind a bit with my writing, but that Tzolkin review I, I wrote out uh, kind of got me back into a groove, so I'm trying to build back up a backlog of articles that uh, will give me a bit of a buffer in the future in case I have bad weeks like I've had recently, so wish me luck with that because I do try to write very deliberately. I write very strangely. I, I very rarely outline what I'm going to write, with, unless it's something very, very large or very uh, philosophical. And I don't do drafts, which always drove my mom crazy when uh, she was homeschooling me as a child because she would want me to write up a rough draft and then go through and refine it. And I always thought, 
well, if I'm going to go back through and fix all the things that are wrong, why don't I just fix those things immediately? And so I tend to write very slowly and deliberately and get the result I want right away. I'll keep working on a sentence or a paragraph a very long time until it's how I want it to be rather than kind of skipping ahead or, or going on to the next section, which is not the most efficient way to write and probably not the best way to write, but it's how I naturally like doing it. Because if I leave a section or a paragraph or a sentence that I'm not satisfied with, it'll bug me and I won't be able to write anything else anyway. But I'm writing better now. I'm getting my thoughts expressed a bit more clearly on the page or the screen, I guess, because I'm typing it and that feels good. Now let's go over these numbers that I've been playing with about the BGG top 100 list and this idea of the cult of the new. Now, if you read the article from a few months ago, you, you may remember that there was a difference kind of in the overall average age, I guess, of a BGG Top 100 game between the years 2017, 2014, and 2011. I would go farther back in time, but in the internet archive search I did, there weren't... 2011 was about as old as I could get for the Top 100 page. But even then, there's a difference. In my original numbers, in 2017, the average game was a little under 8 years old. In 2014, it was about 11 years old, and in 2011, it was about 15 years old. So at that, at a glance there, just with the average, it does seem that people prefer newer games now, at least in their, on the aggregate in their voting. But I discovered that most of, most of the difference between those averages were based around how many games like before 1995 were on the list. Because if you look at the median age of a game on the top 100 list, it's six years old in all situations. In other words, there's a large clumping of games on all three lists within the first six years, especially years three through six. The only difference is that on the 2017 list, and to a lesser extent on the 2014 list, the other scattered groups of games are mostly in the 10, 12-year-old range rather than in the 15, 20, 25-year range. So what it seems like and what it looks kind of anecdotally looking at the list is that just because there's been more games published recently, they've pushed out some older, good, but maybe more niche or kind of not as relevant games. So games like Acquire or Advanced Squad Leader or Maneuver or... I can't remember. There were a lot of these kind of niche war games or older kind of pre-modern classic games like Acquire, which kind of, you know, one of the games that's referenced when talking about, you know, one of the earliest modern board games or kind of precursor to what we know as modern board games is on the 2011 list, but it's off the other two. So it seems like those kinds of games got pushed out. And maybe that's your definition of Cult of the New, but it may just be because this is a new industry and we have obviously games that are borrowing mechanisms and probably in many cases improving upon those mechanisms that we're literally just seeing better games now. But I went back through 
and pulled the numbers again. And largely all the numbers are about the same, looking at, again, similar dates from 2017, 2014, and 2011, around July, August. And the averages are about the same. The median is exactly the same. Everything looks exactly the same until I look at the very top of the list. So when I stop looking at numbers from just the entire top 100 and instead look at the top 10, top 25, and top 50, that's where there's been a massive change, or not massive, that's where there's, there's been a change in the last few months. The biggest examples in the top 10, back in May or April when I did my initial posting, the average age of a top 10 game in 2017 was five years old, in 2014 was six years old, and in 2011 was five years old. So all about the same. Right now, though, the other two numbers have, have stayed the same for 2014 and 2011, but instead of being five years old, the average top 10 game in, right now on the Board Game Geek list is three years old. So that, to me, is a big jump. And what we're seeing anecdotally is if you go to the top 100 page, there are a lot of these hotter, newer games that have finally pushed their way into the top 100. So games like Gloomhaven, Rebellion, Terraforming Mars, Scythe, uh, the new uh, Through the Ages version. Um, and then immediately once you leave the top 10, we see a lot of the old classics like the first edition of Through the Ages, uh, Puerto Rico, which used to be number one way back in the day, is now down to 12. Castles of Burgundy, Agricola, so kind of those mainstay Euro games that used to be in the top 10 have now been pushed out into the top 20. And then once you leave the uh, top 10, uh, the numbers again start to even out. So, for instance, in 2017, uh, in, in April 2017, the average top 25 game was 5.16 years old which is just a hair younger than 2014 and about a year younger than in 2011. And looking at the numbers from uh, today in July, it's gone down about half a year. So it has dropped a bit, but still within a year, year and a half of the other ones. And then finally looking at the top 50, the numbers are almost the same as last time, and, and that is... The average uh, top 50 game in, in April 2017 is a hair over five years old, and it's the same thing now. And then for the, the other two years, in 2014 and 2011, the average top 50 game is between eight and nine years old. So there definitely is a distinction, particularly toward the top of the list. Now, what's the reason for that? Is it that there are people just obsessed with buying new games and, and rating them very highly? I think there's a few reasons why this is happening. Uh, the first reason that I think probably deserves some credit is that there's just more games being played because it's a bigger hobby, or not being played, being made because it's a bigger hobby. And even if you look at, you know, maybe out of, uh, in any given year, there may be 5,000 games made and maybe five of them are going to be really excellent and top 100 worthy, according to many people. In a year where a thousand games are made, and then there's one game, which was the case, you know, back in the early 2000s, you know, looking at it from a percentage standpoint, 
there would back in you know 2000 or ever when there was like a thousand games being made and published on board game geek one of them might make the top 100 list or two of them but now that there are 5000 games a year being published or being made or added to the board game geek list uh, which is the numbers I'm basing this on then just from a percentage standpoint we would expect more total games to be of that very very excellent quality so in that sense, I think just from a number standpoint, it makes sense that there are more newer games now just because there are more total games. But just because there are more total games, you know, maybe a larger percentage of them are just bad and people trying to capitalize on the growing market. Another reason I see is that a lot of these newer games are being pushed up particularly into the top 10, 25, because the kind of newer demographic and newer people into board games, of which I am one. I've only been playing modern board games for about 10 years. They probably tend to be less less critical and less scrutinizing of the game of the way they rate things. Uh, particularly if you look at the video game rating culture, that's a crazy world where anything less than like an 8 out of 10 is considered essentially a bad game. And I think, again, just anecdotally, just from reading through Board Game Geek, kind of the original old-time game players don't think that way. They don't, they don't think a 7 out of 10 is, like, mediocre. They think that's a good game, but not a great game. And if you looked at the average, like, raw rating of the top 10, I wonder if that is higher today than it was back, you know, five years ago or so, because we're looking now, I'm looking at the list now, and we see, you know, Twilight Struggle, which was on the top of the list for a very long time, is an, a raw average of 8.36. We look at these newer games, they have fewer votes, but, you know, Gloomhaven has an average of over 9. Uh, the New Through the Ages is 8.7. Terraforming Mars, which is 7th on the list and has been played by a lot of people, has a slightly higher but about the same average as Twilight Struggle. I think people inherently, newer people into the hobby, are probably just have an inherent bias toward higher scores. If you look at a more pop culture similar ranking system, the IMDB ratings, you see that a lot of the scores, particularly for new kind of younger demographic leaning movies, uh, tend to get a lot of nines and tens compared to movies that are more classic or something like that they get more extreme votes rather than i would say more reasonable you know score rankings that might be part of it the other part of it might just be that these games are actually really good i haven't played all, all of the new games that have hit the top you know top 50 or so but i, th I think scythe is pretty good i think rebellion is pretty good i haven't played gloomhaven I think the new through the ages is brilliant. What else is new on here? Blood Rage I don't agree with, but I see why a lot of people like it. Um, Mechs versus Minions looked amazing. I haven't played that yet. Like a lot of the games up here, I'm just looking at my own ratings in the top 50 or so. You know, the lowest rated games I have is like, well, it's not even a new game at all. It's Puerto Rico, which I have at a 6.5. Everything else I'm giving 8s, 9s to in that section of the list. So in some sense, maybe I'm part of this bias that we're talking about, but I don't necessarily think it's a symptom of people being obsessed with new things. I think it's a combination of their inherent biases toward rating things, 
uh, of the quality of the games that are coming out now and just a function of how many games and how big the hobby is becoming. We have more interested, serious money coming into the hobby. So in some senses, particularly on the production level, games are going to get more impressive. So I think it's just a natural part of of the, the way the BGG Top 100 works. I think it's still a good list of you know really fun, good games to play. It's obviously not perfect for everyone. It would be impossible to do so, but I think it's a pretty good indication of what kinds of games are really popular right now by people who are invested in board gaming. Remember that these are not ratings just from your average you know, Balderdash or, or Apples to Apples or Cards Against Humanity player, there is a barrier to entry to Board Game Geek, which is their UI and the way the, the website looks and how kind of complicated it can be to, to go through. Um, and that barrier of entry, I think, keeps people who only have a cursory interest in board games out. So these are still ratings from people who have an interest in board games uh, rating the games this high. And... It'll, it'll be interesting to see how these kind of games from the last year or two pan out in like three, four, five years on the list. I think they'll remain pretty high, not just because people don't revise their ratings, but I think because they're, they're games that people genuinely like to play, not just because they're the hot new thing with flashy miniatures or whatever. There's probably a little bit of a bias, a little bit of an effect there, but I think it's less than a lot of the people complaining about Cult of the New Think. That's probably enough about the top 100 list. It's interesting to me to look at the numbers and the statistics of this, but ultimately it doesn't really matter at all. But I wanted to go over it because I like calculating that kind of thing, and I think uh, some people will be interested in it. That's it for today for the Desk Side Talk with Mark. Um, I'm going to be wrapping up mostly because it is swelteringly hot in this office, and I turned the fan off so that the audio quality could get better, and now I am dripping with sweat. So hopefully you are listening to this from a cooler climate. I can't even imagine what it's like back in California where I grew up, but here in Boston, it's incredibly humid, which is worse than heat, in my opinion. But still, it's like 90 degrees outside, and there's no fan blowing on me anymore. Anyway, I'll talk to you next time. Make sure to listen in next week when we talk about Mage Knight. I'm very excited about that podcast. And uh, keep in touch. Uh, the ways to do that are through the website itself, on Facebook, on Twitter. If you want to send me an email, I promise I'll send you a reply. I like hearing from people who listen to the podcast. Also, check out the Guild on Board Game Geek if you look up the Thoughtful Gamer Guild and, or look at the website at the end of any article I put a link to there. Uh, we've had a couple of fun discussions about uh, the podcast on the forums there, but it's not particularly active, and I think it would be fun if it did become active. I think people would enjoy uh, seeing that kind of discussion. For the podcast itself, I, it has now been submitted to Board Game Geek, so you can access it there if you wanted to. I'm always putting the podcast on YouTube, and since someone on the guild asked for it, I have put it on a podcast service called Stitcher, which I think is a way to organize podcasts. Anyway, that's the way to keep in touch and access the podcast for your convenience. Let me know uh, any feedback you have about uh, the podcast or the website. I, again, I love hearing from our listeners and our readers. 
uh, and it's fun to see all the different people, particularly from around the world, that visit the website. Today, I'm seeing a whole bunch of, of views from Germany for some reason, I don't know why, but I think it's kind of fun, Germany being kind of one of the homes of board games. Uh, it's fun seeing that I've just got a bunch of views on the website from Germany. Anyway, I will talk to you all again soon. Goodbye.